0: This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church, and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode we have questions from Susanna, Noah, Anonymous, Micah, Caleb, and Sam. First, we'll tackle a few serious questions. Then, we'll look at this episode's big question, and as always, we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. We'll begin with our serious questions. Today, all three questions are connected in one way or another to spelling or writing. First, here's a question from Susanna, who wants to know, what does rain mean? Reign, R E I G N, not R E I N, which is a strap for guiding a horse around, means to rule. To reign is to rule or to be the king over something. Now, God reigns over all creation, over everything that He made, and He created human beings to reign in His name, and that's why. You'll sometimes hear us say that when Jesus returns, we will reign with him. But when you hear that, remember that God's way of reigning, it's not the same as the human way, as the sinful way that we're accustomed to. When we think of people ruling and reigning, we think of them using their authority and their power to lord it over other people and to make other people feel small. But Jesus showed us how to reign with the example that he gave of himself, his self-sacrificial example, where he gave himself up for his people. That's what it means to reign. So godly rulers give themselves to build up those who they reign over, and they seek to make whatever it is that God has given them authority over flourish. So that's what reign means. Here's another spelling question from Susanna. She asks, what's up with the capital G in God? Well, Susanna, in English, we often capitalize words when they refer to a proper person or thing. Uh, Take the word Bible, for example. Now, technically, Bible just means book, and it's possible to write a Bible on all sorts of subjects. But when we refer to the Bible, we capitalize the B because we're referring to this specific proper book. Now, when we use the word God or gods in a general sense, uh, for example, someone might say, oh, I feel like a god, or maybe thinking of mythology, you might refer to the gods of Mount Olympus, then you wouldn't need to capitalize the G in those uses of God. But when you're referring to the God, the God of Scripture, Yahweh, then you do capitalize the G. Finally, this question from Noah is about writing. Noah asks Did Tertius write the epistle to the Romans? Or did Paul think of the words and then tell him to write it? Or did Tertius only write that small part of Romans? So, Noah obviously is thinking here of the sign-off in the book of Romans when we have an exchange of greetings from one side and the other, and at a certain point, we find out that, that this guy, this scribe named Tertius, has been writing down the words on Paul's behalf. Now, we don't know exactly what that process would have looked like, but we can be pretty confident that it would have been similar to the way that a a modern secretary might take dictation. So Paul would speak the words out loud, and as he spoke them, Tertius would be writing them down in a scroll. Now, this was a common practice in the ancient world. This is how many letters were written. In fact, it was very common throughout history to have a scribe whose job was to write things down, and then you would just tell them, What it was that you wanted them to write. Now, as we saw at the end of the book of Romans, when Paul is dictating these back and forth greetings, Tertius, because he's the one writing all of this stuff, has the opportunity to give a greeting of his own. And so he adds a line that is specifically from him since he's the scribe. The interesting thing is, in a couple of instances with other letters of Paul's, we see Paul writing with his own hands, adding a little note towards the end in his own handwriting. See this in Galatians 6, verse 11, and also in 2 Thessalonians three seventeen. And in 2 Thessalonians, Paul explains in a little aside that this is something that he does intentionally in order to authenticate his letters. He always adds a little line in his own hand the way that if you were typing a letter today, at the end you would sign it in your own handwriting to show by the signature that it came from you. Well, Paul did something similar, and so people who received a letter from Paul would see that for the most part, it was written by Tertius or some other scribe, but Paul would always add in his own handwriting a line towards the end, and that would show that this had authentically come from the Apostle Paul. Now it's time for the big question. Today, the big question comes from Anonymous. Now, either this person didn't want us to use their name or forgot to write it down. Either way, that's perfectly fine. Sometimes it's easier to ask a tough question that way. So, no problem. So, here's the question. If you commit a sin, let's say, constantly drinking alcohol to the point of drunkenness, you know it's a sin, you know it's bad, but you aren't exactly sorry for it. Would you still go to heaven if you sinned like that? All right, Anonymous, that is a big question, and it's a complicated question. So there are a few points that I think it's important for us to address. First of all, let's get this out of the way. Drinking alcohol is not a sin, but drunkenness is. Now, the reason I say that up front is, of course, within the various branches of Christianity, there are differences of interpretation on this point. There are some churches that would tell you drinking alcohol is totally sinful uh, just touching it would be sinful, let alone drinking so much as to become drunk. But I think a more faithful interpretation of Scripture would suggest that drinking alcohol is not a sin. Uh, we see examples of people drinking alcoholic beverages, recommending alcoholic beverages in Scripture, and there's no suggestion that that is sinful. But we do know that drinking to excess. Drinking to inebriation is constantly condemned in scriptures. So drinking alcohol, not a sin. Drunkenness, definitely a sin. So now the question we come back to is whether or not constantly drinking to the point of drunkenness would uh, prevent you, in the words of Anonymous, from uh, going to heaven. Okay, so there are two separate issues that I want to distinguish between. One of them is repentance, and the other one is sanctification. Now, let's take the second one first, sanctification. Sanctification is a process where the Holy Spirit works within us and and basically wages war on sin within us. Now, it's possible for a person to be sorry for their sins, to be truly repentant, and yet still commit sin, still be in the grip of sin. In fact, that's the norm. All of us, despite the fact that we repent of our sins, that we turn from them, that we don't want to sin anymore, and that we have the the Spirit working in us, we still continue to struggle with sin. So when you find yourself committing sins, You don't need to immediately assume, well, I must not really be saved, because if I were, then I wouldn't be sinning. According to the Bible, sanctification is a work of the Spirit, and it is also progressive. It happens over time, not all at once. And in this life, no one reaches perfection. If you want to understand sanctification and how that works a little bit better, I'm going to recommend that you read chapter 13 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. The title is Of Sanctification. And Even though it's a chapter, it's actually quite short. There's just, I think, three little sections there. But that will give you a good understanding of how sanctification works. Now, I also want to mention this. In chapter 17 of the Westminster Confession, which is about the perseverance of the saints, you'll find the final section of that chapter that a believer may fall into grievous sin and for a time continue therein. So in the life of a Christian, it is possible for a person who is genuinely a believer to fall into a pattern of sin and to continue in that pattern for a season. And that brings all sorts of uh, punishment and judgment and, and bad consequences but it is possible for that to happen. And the fact that you find yourself in that state shouldn't lead you to conclude automatically, well, I must not be genuinely one of God's people because of this, right? So I just want to get that out of the way, that sanctification is complex, that it happens in different ways and according to different timetables in various people, and that you shouldn't be quick to draw these one-to-one conclusions because, of course, none of us in this life attain perfection. But there's a phrase in the question that makes me think what we're talking about here isn't really sanctification, it's probably repentance itself. Because you mentioned uh, you know it's bad, but you aren't exactly sorry for it. And repentance is being sorry for it and turning away from the thing that you're sorry that you did. So I think repentance is really what we're talking about here. And in this scenario, a person who is constantly committing this sin and isn't really sorry for it, I would say that person needs to start with repentance. That person needs to start by admitting that this sin actually is sinful, that this is something that should be rejected and making that act of repentance, of, of actively turning away from that sin. So if you came to me and described this as your situation, I would say start with repentance. Start with being genuinely sorry for your sin and turning away from it and towards Jesus. Now, this is important because the way you phrase the question is, you asked, would you still go to heaven? But what's interesting in the scenario, you don't mention whether this person we're talking about has faith in Jesus or not. It only really touches on their sin. Now, whether or not you're saved doesn't depend on how little you sin. Because everyone, no matter how little they've sinned, has sinned enough in order to be condemned. So if you're gonna be judged based on your own righteousness, based on your own record of action, then you're gonna be found guilty. So if you have faith in Christ, then Jesus's righteousness is given to you. And when you're judged, you're judged on his record, not on yours. And being judged on his record That's the only way that a person can be saved. Scripture says there's no salvation trusting in anything or anyone else. There is no salvation by any other name than Jesus Christ. So the important question really isn't how much you sin or how little you sin. The important question is whether you've repented of your sin and believed in Christ. And if you have, then His righteousness is granted to you, and His Spirit is working within you to sanctify you. But if you haven't repented of your sins, that's where you need to start. For our final segment, it's time for a few fun questions. Here's one from Micah. Micah asks, how far is the sun? Great question. So light coming from the sun only takes about five and a half hours in order to reach the Earth. So depending on what mode of transportation you choose to get to the sun, the sun is actually only about as far away from us As Kansas City is. The distance just depends on what mode of transport you choose. If you're traveling at the speed of light, you can get there pretty quickly. Now, Caleb has a good question How many languages do you know? Well, Caleb, I've studied French and German and Russian and Greek and Hebrew. And of course, I grew up speaking English. Sadly, though, if I'm perfectly honest, the answer is that at best, I know, let's say, uh, three-fourths of just one language, and that would be English. And to wrap things up, our final question comes from Sam. What's your favorite animal? Well, Sam, my favorite two animals were Hugo and Clive. Hugo and Clive were my cats. I even wrote about them in my book, Rethinking Worldview. Now, sadly, Hugo died before I came here to Sioux Falls, and Clive lived here for a few years, and then he died too. But they were the best cats ever, and I still miss them. And I also like monkeys, pterodactyls, and unicorns. that's all for now thanks for listening to the big question until next time remember if we're going to find the answers then we have to ask the questions so never be afraid to ask and never be satisfied with easy answers the truth will always stand up to scrutiny so until next time keep asking the big questions